Hello, everybody. Welcome to the No Breaking Podcast. I'm here, actually, with my second guest of the day, Carissa Hossack. How did I go? Did I do okay? Yeah, you did great. And the pronunciation, since I was terrified? It's great. Yeah, you did just fine. (laughs) Sweet, sweet relief. And now I can wipe that bead of sweat off my brow. And I can more focus on my LaCroix instead now, which is sweating, because it's all always chilled, right? <laughs> so, Carissa, thank you so much, one, for volunteering to be on the podcast. Don't be nervous. It's absolutely fine. There's only going to be a few people listening to this. There'll be my wife, my probably my mom and dad, and that's maybe it. Okay. <laughs> and if you want to tell anyone, that's you might bring it up to like maybe five, okay? Because Kiwi's here in person, she's not going to listen to it again. <laughs> and okay. the pause, they're really not very good with the touch tone phones these days. So, Carissa, <laughs> thank you so much for joining me today. And tell me, how did you get into the crazy world of cars? What was it that sort of got you in this? Okay, yeah, thanks for having me on as well. Um, so, my history goes back actually with my family. They have a business back in Texas, it's mm-hmm. Car Audio. And we've been in the car audio industry for, gosh, I don't know, 35 years, maybe longer. And I grew up around that. So I grew up going to car events, you know, DB sound offs and things like that. And as I got older, I have an older brother and he influenced me a ton. I always saw him as, you know, my best friend. I always wanted to do what my older brother was doing. And he had a car once he finally got, you know, 16 and could drive. And I wanted to always be with him and his friends, like go to the parking lots and hang out, you know goof off they would street race or in texas people do that a lot <laughs> well they might head to they, well they'd street race up the speed limit obviously and oh, then if yes. they were to go above the speed limit i mean those happen in mexico right yeah exactly of course i mean in texas happen. mexico is right across the border <laughs> so it's like close enough yeah yeah i don't know texas is pretty big it takes a long time to get through that state well you know um, what i mean though but well yeah. if you go in this complete speed limit obviously you'll just get there in a really good time <laughs> exactly exactly Um, So yeah, I grew up around that industry with my family and everything. And my brother, like I said, he influenced a lot of that. He built his car. We'd always wrench and I worked at my family's shop, which was car audio. So I did car audio installations for about six years and I did sales for that as well. So I was... Did your family still have the business? They do. Yeah. They're still there. They tell me... What's it called? It's called Hypro Audio. Okay. And yeah. where should, if anyone wants to get car audio in Tejas? Yeah, it's in Victoria, Texas, which is about two hours south of Houston. And they do boats. They do, I mean, they can do home limos. They do everything. They're super talented. Fantastic. And where, can they find them online then? Since you've got to get your plugs um, yeah. in. Since Instagram, I know that I know someone everything. that you know missed plugging his catering business earlier. <laughs> what perk? <laughs> Yeah, so you can find them at Hypro Audio. That's H I P R O Audio. Wonderful. Yeah. I bet. And now they could, they've got to listen now, so you've committed them <laughs> to listen. They're definitely going to listen. My mom will probably be super stoked. She's always so sweet and proud of me, but she always tells me in case freelance fails as a photographer, I can always go back and work there. That's good to know. It's yeah, always good to have a backup plan. It's great to know. Hopefully, it doesn't come down to that. Hopefully, I can just you know, stay on track with my goals and things like that. And does your brother work there, or is he not? Has he flown he, the coop too? He is too? still there. Yeah. He, oh. He actually is. Hopefully, once my dad is ready to let him kind of take over things, he will. He is. He manages it. And he does everything. So, he's a multitasker as well. But a big question though, of the four of you, you, your mother, your father, and your brother, mm-hmm. who can remove and install a head unit the quickest? Oh, probably my brother okay. for sure. Yeah, yeah. 
I can help, but he can just like take an exacto knife to a roof and start cutting it for drop down screens and stuff. Like he's way more comfortable and capable. But I can wire something up. I mean, if I have my own car and I need to put speakers in, I'm doing it. Like I did all the headlights and or the top lights for the Montero. I wired that. I wired our solar panel up, second battery, things like that. So I'm very comfortable with wiring. And we'll get to that all later then. <laughs> yeah. So what was it then that when your brother had his first car at 16, that he was, what was it he driving that he was dragging you around to all these car park meets and sound okay. offs and whatnot? Yeah. So my brother, he has a Toyota Supra. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were very, what year super was it? That's a 94. Okay. So my brother and I, we both worked in the family business basically our whole lives. Mm -hmm. So as long as we could pick up a broom or answer the phone, we were working. And so during that time of once we could finally own a car, you know, my family said, you know, this is much you should spend. And so he had that limit and he was able to find a super within that limit, although it was very hard to find. And yeah, so we were very influenced by Japanese culture. We grew up watching animes. We loved Pokemon. Like, we were kind of nerdy. And then by the time I got to high school, you know, Japanese culture influenced us so much that we, you know, wanted the JDM cars. And so he had a Supra, and once I was able to turn 16 and drive, I actually, I bought an RX-7. What year RX-7 did you it's get? It's a 94. Oh, okay. Yeah, I bought a 93 first, and it wasn't the best driving car. It definitely had some hiccups, and so I actually flipped it and made a couple grand and was able to buy a better one. Very nice. Yeah. And so what happened with your 94 RX-7 then? Um, it is still in Texas. Okay. I keep it there at the moment. I'd like to bring it out to California so I can fully enjoy it. But whenever I moved to LA, I didn't have um, a parking spot specifically. Which... It was street parking. So I was super nervous about that. And Look, now... it's, it's an LA thing. People yeah. don't realize this. Yeah. That, I mean, it's good to have a garage. For sure. And now I do, and I have no excuses, so I definitely should get it here. <laughs> but, uh, and then, so what happened with that RX-7 when you got it? What state was it when you picked it up, and what state is it in now, I should say? Um, whenever I purchased it, it had, like, a body kit and wheels and very minimal stuff to the engine and everything. But within a year of owning it, the water still actually broke, mm -hmm. and so my whole engine basically overheated. Um, Which is first, not ideal. Yeah, it's very typical though. I mean, rotaries last like once you hit that seventy k mark, you know it's going to shit soon. Sorry, mm -hmm. like that's all right. That. It's, it's your mom that's going to be telling you <laughs> off. I don't have to worry about that. It's okay. They did tell me I shouldn't buy a rotary. They were kind of right in that aspect, but it was great because the moment that it, it croaked, basically, it forced me into learning about the internals of motors and how to work on them, which was great. Um, you know, I didn't have the money to spend and just drop my car off at the shop. I was like, I have a shop. I can wrench. I can figure this out. There's forums, endless possibilities to learn. Um, so, yeah, I took the motor out, bought all this stuff for it. You know, the ricing began. I bought single turbo. I upgraded my fuel. I, yeah, I did so many things to that car, you know, different exhaust manifold all the way back. It was, it was awesome. It was a fun build. So internals had to be replaced and everything. Okay. Yeah. Which, yeah, and so why, it's a good reason why you should be driving more over here then, right? <laughs> Definitely. I put a lot of time and money in that car. So then where did that lead you then? What what year are we talking here at this point now? Okay, so this is, I'm, gosh, I'm trying to think when I started building this car. I was 17. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I remember I, I had an auto body class that I took in high school. And during auto body class, we had a lunch break. Mm -hmm. And it was a separate unit from the high school that I went to. You'd have to go to... A different school to go to auto body, body class so you had very few people at lunch and so normally I would bring magazines and just entertain myself 
Um, so I would read, you know, Import Tuner, Super Street, all that. And I was super inspired by the photography, actually. Mm -hmm. um, at the time, I had just a point-and-shoot Sony, and I would flip through these magazines, and I was like, how cool would it be to photograph these cars or even have my own vehicle in one, right? And so that kind of got my wheel turning about what I want to do, which was, you know, I have a passion for cars, and then, like, I have this passion for creativity. I've always been very creative growing up and bringing photography and cars together as one, as a career. And so that was kind of my, my passion at the time. I always, you know, took people's car and would photo shoot them or mm -hmm. photograph them. And once I graduated, I actually, I got my first camera, which was a, a Canon 30D. And I would do, you know, parking garage shoots or whatever I could do in the area that I was in. I was in a small town. So, yeah, that's kind of where it started. And then from there... Um, college happened. I wanted to go to art school. Um, I went to community college for a while to mm -hmm. figure it out. My mom was like not wanting me to go away at all. She's like, tie the rope closer, come back. Um, so I took community classes trying to figure out what I wanted to do. My mom didn't want me to invest in art school if photography wasn't a serious career of mine. And so I realized that photography was something that I wanted to do because I couldn't stop creating. I was always doing passion projects, whether it was car related or not. And I, you know, looked around the country to see where I wanted to go to school. Mm -hmm. Part of me knew I didn't want to stay in Texas because I didn't feel like the automotive industry, you know, I could have branched very well there. And so I looked at a couple colleges. I went towards the East, the East Coast and also the West. And I went to San Francisco, which was the Academy of Art University. Mm -hmm. And the portfolio there that the students created was just so much better than any of the other colleges I noticed. Like people were very creative just very talented in the Photoshop skills and everything like that. And I was like, this is it. This is the place that I need to go. And San Francisco is not a bad place to be. Oh, gosh. I fell in love with that city. I mean, I still miss it to this day. I've, I haven't lived there for five years now, I believe. And, yeah, I definitely – I would say I miss the Bay Area a lot. And where in the Bay Area were you living? Were you living in San Francisco? I didn't. I lived in Pacifica. Oh, okay. So, I mean, basically you're Half Moon Bay. If anybody doesn't know what Pacifica is, you're basically right off the one, and you just overlook all these cliffs and ocean, and it's, and it's breathtaking. Can, and you can hit the waves every day, right? Yeah, I don't surf, though. Well, you could have if you <laughs> wanted to. I could have, to. and I probably should have because I actually surfed in Texas when I was younger, and then – I grew a fear of sharks and water, and ever since then, I can't, like, I need to face that fear, but I have a really hard time. Well, yeah, there's yeah. that too. And so, uh, when what happened to you when you graduated then from the Academy of Art? Where did you go there? Um, so, I went to Academy of Art. I didn't do a bachelor's there. I actually did associates because I became so busy assisting assisting people. Mm -hmm. um, I have a friend of mine who I, he started hiring me often, which is um, Web Bland with Not Bland Photography. And I'm trying to think, we, Lim, I'm not Lindbergh, sorry, Lindbergh helped me a lot too. Um, Webb and I met actually through DeviantArt, which is older. I don't know if you're familiar with DeviantArt. It's a super cool website where artists, you know, collaborate and also just put their art out there for feedback and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And Webb would always help me with my work. He'd be like, you know, you need to do this different. And so we became friends on the internet. And once I started going to school, we actually crossed paths. Whenever I was coming back home to visit my family, he was in LA and he was like, oh, hey, we should meet up. I'm shooting for Top Gear. Do you want to like hang out? And so we met up and I just kind of like followed him around. And ever since then, he's been hiring me for a lot of his jobs for Dodge and Chrysler and Jeep and stuff. And so that's a pretty good start to be starting to get, and obviously being a photographer yeah. and getting paid to do it. Absolutely. Especially whenever you're going to college and you don't know where 
you know, which direction ahead are you going to end up where you want to be? You don't know. And I was really, really blessed because a lot of friends, you know, could see my work ethic, you know, working from a young age. I was very determined to work well and hard and I was always very helpful on shoots. Sure. And so then where did that leave you to then go uh, from where you are from there to now? How's that developed or how's that transition gone? Yeah. Um, so I, for graduation, I actually didn't walk stage. Webb hired me for a job in Detroit and mm -hmm. to assist him. And that's actually where I met Lindbergh. Um, Lindbergh was on that job. So I'm lucky that I, I met Lindbergh because he's been amazing and actually kind of helped me pave my way of how to get where I need to go. Because whenever I graduated, it was a matter of, am I going to go back to Texas? And hopefully something will become of that. Or should I move south to L.A.? Because San Francisco, there wasn't much industry for me for what I wanted to do. Yeah, the automotive right. business is not really focused in the Bay Area. Well, Tesla right. is there. Yes, yes. But it's very hard for commercial work. Yeah, the design and everything else is much more down here in Southern California. Right, right. And I was, I was unsure if I really wanted to live in L.A., but I, deep down I knew that was my next move. I just had to figure out how to do it. And so Lindbergh actually helped me land a sales job. So I worked at sales in LA and that lasted for probably about six months. Mm -hmm. So I came to LA in I think it was 2014. And within six months of that sales job, I was assisting so many people and I started having my own shoots that I needed to do for different companies, um, primarily Auctions America and then later RM Sotheby's. And I realized that I was asking for too many days off, honestly. They were like, you need to choose whether you're going to focus on sales or if you need to focus on photography. And they were great. You know, they, they really supported me for my decision. And they said, you know, enjoy your time off before you have to have a next job and travel when you can and just enjoy. And so that seems to be a good fit for what you've been doing since then and, and kind of working both balancing that and work and life is from what I hear. Yes, absolutely. I have been freelance for, let's see, 14, 15. Almost five years. Yeah, five years will be, I think, this year. And so how? what is the like the freelance life for you like? Oh, gosh, I love it. You know, I, I knew I wanted to be a commercial automotive photographer, and I didn't really know exactly what that consisted of other than shooting cool stuff and creating and, you know, traveling for work, which is always the best part. But my free time is amazing. So how much, how are you able to split that between the two? How difficult is it for you to schedule and plan these things out? Um, luckily, I'm very good at last minute planning. And mm -hmm. that's pretty much what Limburg and I schedule consists of. I mean, just yesterday, RM reached out to me saying, hey, we need three cars shot for Amelia Island, which is an auction coming up. And we need them delivered by, you know, Thursday night. And I'm like, I got this. Yeah, I'm free tomorrow. I'll go shoot three cars for you guys and get it done. Um, so they love that about me is my flexibility and a lot of clients do. And so, you know, I, I keep my schedule as open as I can. I try not to plan ahead too much. And if I do, you know, say want to go on vacation or travel somewhere, you know, I set that time aside and I commit to that. And having that commitment's hard because whenever you're out traveling and you have these emails coming in, you're like, damn, I'm missing that job. Yeah, there's some money yeah, there, right? Yeah, you have to let that go, though. That's the thing I've realized is you have to let that emotion go and just accept the time that you you took and enjoy that for yourself. And then, so what are the, some of the tips you'd give to anyone who's thinking about in their role? For example, if they're looking to do photography and going freelance to make that jump, what is some, is there any advice that you could give them? Yeah, that's a tough one. Freelance is, it's an interesting, I, I guess you kind of feel like you're in limbo because you, you don't have like a steady day to day. Yeah. And things um, like, uh, say health insurance kind of important. Yeah. Health insurance. And accountant, these things like that kind of important these yeah, days. Yeah. I mean, hire somebody for CPA or whatever you can for that stuff. If you don't know what you're doing. 
Um, I would say for that branch, gosh, make sure you kind of have your foot in the door in a way. I had a lot of people I was assisting at the time, so I knew I'd have at least that if I didn't have enough clientele. Um, I was assisting Webb. I was assisting my friend Jordan Shiraki, and he shoots a lot for like BMW and Lamborghini. I assisted Lindbergh a ton, who's also very busy with commercial work. And actually, I think the thing that got me to make the leap was Webb. He hired me to do retouching for him. Mm -hmm. And so that was going to be my buffer. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to retouch for him, and I have these next few months that I could buffer on in case I don't have any work. And if I don't have any work, then it's time to find another day job. And luckily, at that time, that moment that I took that giant leaf, full of fear, but also a lot of faith, um, that's whenever I started getting a lot of emails from RM auctions and a lot of auction companies. And it's interesting because I didn't realize, at the time of going to college, I didn't realize that auction work was an, an important niche in the automotive community. And I love it. It's it's great. It's so fun. You can be very creative. The people that I've, I've shot their cars or even the companies that, you know, store people's cars, like they're very flexible. And I, I love that it can be so short notice, but you can create something in such a short amount of time. Yeah. And, and especially with it, like, for example, an auction house like RM, I mean, they get some pretty flashy cars coming across yes. those auction blocks. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I and mean, they last... lead to some, probably some pretty good photo opportunities. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't always go in your favor. Sometimes they can't go out on location. You have to shoot at the shop, but you know, you, you take some whenever you can and you hope for the best on the next one. And so what are some of the cars that are, well, we should say, what are some of the things that have been most memorable for you in those shoots that you've done in these last five years? Okay. Um, well, recently, I guess last year I photographed, it was a Maserati A6G Zagato. That was one of my favorites just because, you know, I was shot in San Francisco, which is already so close to my heart. And it was a foggy day. So the fog was just kind of rolling through these eucalyptus trees and it was just so beautiful. And at the end of the shoot, I felt so high on just like the energy of the day because you felt, I felt like I did such a great job and I felt like I, I hadn't had that type of location opportunity in so long. You do know that eucalyptus does have, give you that high oh, really? effect as well. That's why koalas That's are always That's so true. high. Well, maybe that was it then. I don't know. It was know. a combination <laughs> of both of them. So where, where in the bay did you shoot it then? Um, it was in South San Francisco. I can't remember the exact park we photographed at, but it was an early morning and the car was silver, which was great for the fog rolling in because silver reflect, reflects light so easily. Like you don't need direct light on it, but if you do, great. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then I say another car that I photographed recently was a Lamborghini uh, Mira. Which some people say is obviously that's a hideous car. I mean, it's often what? talked about. That a Lamborghini Mira is obviously one of the oh. most despicable supercars of all time. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. I mean, those body lines. Oh, it's awful. The, eyel <laughs> the eyelashes, everything. It's terrible. I mean, who wants who wants that in a car, right? Yeah, definitely. Mid-engine supercar, the first one? No, no one wants that. Yes. And was it, it was the, like, deep, dark blue one, wasn't it? Yeah, kind it of? was actually kind of a bright blue. I mean, my shots were a little dark because it was right at sunset, but the, the car was just this beautiful radiant blue, and the wheels were gold. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, that car had me so speechless. And that's the thing I try to tell people as well is try not to get in your head. Like, even though... You say you you want to be this automotive photographer because you're obsessed with cars. Whenever you're shooting a car, 
think of it more as a subject because if you're going to get in your head about a car, it's going to restrict you from the way you see the car. So look at it as like a product, look at it as just an object and how light shapes that object. Because if you can detach your emotions from it, then you can think more clearly. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've realized. Whenever I photographed that Lamborghini, that was something I was having a hard time with because normally I don't get in my head about it, but that car was so beautiful. I couldn't stop just like basically drooling on the car. Um, especially after they took me a ride on it. I'm like, how am I supposed to shoot after this? this is so, so you got good. to be a passenger? I did, yeah. We moved from location, so we didn't go far, but he just Still, gunned yeah. it between, and I was like, oh, that V12 just felt so great. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, a friend of the old podcast that should not be named, Simon Kitson, I've, I've got a, a special deal with him that he's going to find me the Lamborghini Mirror of my dreams that I've been looking for. Okay. $20, I said. That's his finder's fee. And I, I said, I can't, 25 at most, Simon. So that's what we, sort of the deal we've figured it out at this point. Okay, well, maybe invest the $20 and wait for that investment to go up because this one sold for two mil, so. Uh, well, there's, uh, look, it's close. $20, two million. I'm not far off, right? I mean, yeah. I'll get there eventually. You will definitely get there. That's why I want Simon as the broker to give me a good deal. That's what I think I'm looking at. So then what, I mean, what else though? I mean, is that these are obviously cars that you shot here. Have you been, where have you been? Has this taken you on locations? What's some of the locations that you've been and seen too? Um, for auction stuff, I've been to. Well, just in general, in I should general, say. Yeah. Well, okay. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I've kind of been all over for assisting, especially, you know, because the bigger commercial jobs, gosh, I love being on production. It's just, it's so much fun because I get to work with my friends and be around them and just basically hang out. Like sometimes mm -hmm. we'll blast Taylor Swift and just have a good time. Um, yeah, I've been to Detroit, Texas. Um, I was in Maine last year with Webb and we literally ate, um, lobster rolls every day. I think I it's had a one. hard life. It was a hard life right before the airport. I actually had this, um, it was the slushy that was spiked and it was noon. I was like, eh, I'm getting on a flight, whatever. And I was just having a great time just stuffing my face and more lobster rolls before I had to leave. So it's taken me some great places. And of those, of those places, is there any place that you've been to that you've been surprised by that you wouldn't, weren't expecting what it was going to be like, for example, photography? Um, what do you mean? So like you've been someplace and you're like, oh, I was totally not expecting it to be like, it was cool or it was fun. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say a location that comes to mind is White Sands. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever been there, but no. White Sands National Park, I had no idea what it was going to look like. And we actually had an RV for the day. Thank God. Cause it was the summer and it was like one ten outside and we were shooting for Dodge. We were shooting the charger. I believe it was a white charger on White Sands and it was gorgeous out there i mean you're just talking like endless miles just with these super white dunes just like colliding across the sky and it was super fun but midday i got dehydrated and i needed to chill in the rv and kind of like rehydrate myself because i started to kind of black out um but during that break once we were feeling better and we realized that you know high light is kind of like the dead of the day you don't shoot until the light gets a little lower we actually, um, we rented these plastic boards and we started like sliding down the dune. So that was a good time. You know, it's, it's fun. It sounds like a hard life on set, right? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and then so from there with your work work, what about the fun stuff that you managed to squeeze around all this work work? Yeah. Um, so like camping and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, anytime that we know we're not photographing, I mean, it's hard because I could focus on my own schedule and I could probably have a little more free time, but since Lindbergh and I share our schedules and we want to do things together, you know, I'm working on his schedule, he's working on mine, and so, like, any weekend that we have free, normally we will just pack up our truck, we have, like, an adventure mobile, mm -hmm. we pack it up, we hit the road, wherever that may be, we may drive to Colorado, we may just drive up the mountains a few hours, and just kind of disconnect from that hustle and bustle of what we do for a living, you know, we 
I mean, we have no complaints about that life. We absolutely love what we do, but it's definitely nice to just get out off the grid, not see a single person other than maybe a squirrel and just disconnect, have no service and just enjoy being. So what, what have you had to do? Because obviously if people haven't listened to the Lindbergh podcast because mm-hmm. they think he's an awful human being and they don't want to hear him, <laughs> what, what is your Mitsubishi that you've got? What have you done to it? Okay, um, yeah, the Montero. It's a fun little rig that we got, and we love being off-road is what we've realized. We love just being out in nature. So the truck is lifted. We have you know BFG all-terrain tires on it. Um, we have a solar panel which charges our laptops and our batteries because even though we go out in the middle of nowhere, we still have to be connected in some way. We still have to send emails. I mean, I've been editing auction cars while we are out camping. So I need that. We both need the laptops charged and things like that. We have a refrigerator, we have a drawer system, we have a rooftop tent. So we just kind of like get out, open up the second home, I guess you could say, and just lounge out. <laughs> yeah. Is it glamping, would you say? Almost? Mm. It's a, a rougher type of glamping, okay. I guess. You glamping could say. minus, maybe. You, you still have to go dig a hole when you go oh, to the bathroom. Okay. So you know, I mean, as long as you're okay with popping a squat, then I guess it's not glamping. It could be glamping, yeah. So where are you looking to go then with the? Uh, I should say with your Mitsubishi this year. Oh gosh, we have a lot of plans this year. At least for the Mitsubishi, um, we're planning to go to. Baja was was on the list for New Year's, but it fell through. So we're hoping to actually hit up Baja. February Mm -hmm. and then after Baja we're gonna come back I'm sure we're both gonna have some work we need to get done how far down the peninsula are you gonna go we want to hopefully go all the way yeah we would like to make it all the way to the the tip of Cabo area and then probably head back up either east side although a hurricane hit so we might not be able to go along too much east Mm -hmm. Um, west right now I think the roads are okay and yeah Hopefully yeah, because I think I saw that after the, the Baja 1000, <laughs> was it where it was the roads are blown yeah, out and things yeah, like that? Yeah, the road is pretty much gone. Like, all the concrete's lifted, and it's just dirt. And a friend of ours, um, uh, the Hoonigans, basically, the Scottos were down there telling us, like, the road conditions. We were like, okay, well, this might kind of stump our New Year's plans. Yeah, put a bit um, of a pass on that for the moment. Yeah, but we still hope to go down there and explore. We'd really like to explore Baja. We did it last year for New Year's, and it was incredible out there. Yeah, I mean... I've watched several of the Hoonigan videos where they've taken the trips in there. It certainly does look incredible. Yeah. I mean, the opportunity of being on the water and being the ability to camp. I mean, maybe not so much for the events when they're going down there, yeah. but I think yeah. after those events might be a little bit better. Absolutely. I mean, literally just, you know, what they did is have to pace the event and figure out where the, where the track was going and things like that. But that moment you get to stop and just, like, take in what, you, what you're surrounded by, which is just, like, endless, you know, dunes or whatever the terrain may be. Or say you're camping out on the beach. Like, gosh, it's just a simple life. And it's, it's taking a step back and just soaking it in and appreciating it. And then what about some of the places here in the U.S. then, I should say? Yeah. For the U.S., we're planning to go. Um, we're hoping to hit up Yellowstone and then Grand Tetons, work our way up to Glacier, and then go to Banff. Mm-hmm. Um, that is our plan. And we hope to meet up with some friends in Banff, and yeah, it should be a blast. So how long will it take you to do that drive then? Well, that's a good question. I mean, it really depends how much time we want to spend. Easily two weeks, I feel like that could be. Okay. Because that's a pretty far drive to go to Banff and back. Yeah, so I was going to say, so but one, what time of year are you thinking about doing that? Probably spring. Okay. Um, I'm hoping by, by spring, hopefully a little bit of the melt from the glaciers are off. Um, or at least Glacier National Park. So you can actually do the hiking because in the winter, their winter starts pretty early. I would say probably, gosh, September, October, most of the hiking trails are closed by mm-hmm. October-ish. 
So hoping to, you know, embrace being able to go hiking, but also look at the mountains with the snow and everything on them. And will it just be the two of you going there? Oh, yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, the two. I mean, if people want to come along, come along. No, I meant with your pets that you have. (laughs) Oh, oh, yeah, with pets. Yeah, we have our dog, Kaya. She's a Sheba, and we actually just adopted another dog. She is um, a Golden Retriever Dash Hound mix. And we're hoping, so far she's done hiking with us. She's done seven miles, no problem. So we're hoping she likes the hiking, camping life. And, and how much of a challenge is it taking two dogs? I mean, obviously we, I have Kaju Kiwi, who's pretty much, she's, as everyone here is right now, she's always all the time bouncing around doing everything. Oh, okay. As you can uh, see, absolutely. obviously. Absolutely, I, mean, I know. I mean, just such high energy. She's so handy. So she's got her <laughs> little harness in the car. She sits on my knee while I drive. How are your two dogs going? Um, Kaya's pretty chill. We don't know about the other dog. We haven't took oh, her camping. Okay. She's great in the car so far. For the hikes we've done, we've had to drive like an hour and a half, and she's great. She just chills. Give her a dog bone, though, because we had a harness on her, and she chewed it in half. <laughs> Which is a, little, a dog yeah. bone's a little bit cheaper than a harness. Yeah, a dog bone's much better than a mm. harness. Yeah. Probably a little healthier, too, I suspect. Yeah. yeah. But Kaya's great. I mean, she's very communicative. I swear she's part human because she can understand English. I'll turn around, and I'll tell her, hey, we're going on an adventure. It's going to be a while. Get comfortable. And she chills for hours. She won't bother us unless she needs to go to the bathroom. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, obviously, I have the same sort of conversations with Kiwi, but it's generally not about great hikes since that's really not her forte yeah but i mean i have very in-depth conversations with her in the kitchen all the time it's amazing what we come up with (laughs) it's actually really good to communicate with dogs even if you think they they don't understand you they might be looking at you and hearing gibberish but i think they they balance that with the energy that they're getting from you and then if anyone's looking to try and find your off-roading adventures, where's the best place for them to find that? Okay, yeah. The best place to find our overlanding adventure stuff is at Gondurton, mm-hmm. which is G-O-N-D-I-R-T-I-N. Okay, and that's yeah. where you get all your adventures and seeing where you're going and what you're up to and whatnot? Yeah. Are there any of the sponsors that you have to work with then to help keep this dream alive? Um, I mean, right now it's, it's not a paid thing. You know, we're just enjoying it for the passion of it. And it's yeah. nice to have a little passion project, especially whenever you're out traveling and seeing all these amazing places, but we are working with a couple companies. And so we're photographing, um, some stuff for them, which is roof nest, which is a rooftop tent. It's a hard shell. So it takes up the whole top of our truck. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're working with Pia lights and I'm trying to think who else we are working with camp chef. I think that's it right now, but we have a couple other proposals out. That'll be fun. Eh? Oh, and Adventure Driven Design. They actually make um, parts for Montero. So any truck that needs, like, basically just about anything from suspension to bearings and, like, an undercarriage protection, they do all of it. And then what about for you if people want to find your work work where people are paying your bills and things like that? For yeah. you to go enjoy yourself and live this <laughs> this life on the road. Yeah, you can find me at Chris Lynn, which is K-A-R-I-S-S-A-L-Y-N-N-E. Is that on Instagram? Instagram. And then what happens if they want to see your like, portfolio and your fancy work? Yeah, it's carissahosick.com. Okay. Hosick is H-O-S-E-K. Fantastic. Yeah. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time. Totally. Are you still really super nervous now? No, I'm really relaxed now, actually. I That's just need good. to get some words out. <laughs> so just, we just told Kiwi that helps bring it all the way down there. <laughs> for sure. So thank you so much again for making a time to chat here. And, of course, everyone is always every week with a new person hopefully that comes on the show that's the important thing find us at no breaking on instagram or at no breaking.com online you can also as we always like to say please give us a very positive review at least as Lindbergh said 45 stars i think that's a good minimum now that we should aim for absolutely not 4.5 45 out of 5 totally and then write some very kind words and that's all because otherwise my mom and dad won't be happy (laughs) 
And that's the important thing. So anyway, guys, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.